Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. So we're bold about something in our life at some point, not not all of us are extroverted in a way where we would be bold publicly, but even the introverts in this world at some point are bold about something in their life. It may be that they push back against someone who they think is wrong or is doing something wrong, and it may just be on a one-on-one level, right? They might be bold. Some of us might just be bold directly to someone else on a one-on-one thing or in a small group setting either standing up for ourselves or standing up for what's right, what, what we believe is right. But there's this sense of boldness that comes over people um, all the time. We see it all the time in our society. We see it all the time in our lives, personally, where we can see there was a moment, at least one moment in our lives, but probably more than one moment, where we were bold about something. We were, we, we were willing to just say what we believe needed to be said or push back in a way where we needed to be pushed back speak the truth um you know be bold in that way do do something an action can be bold so in a positive way that we were willing to give a gift in a way that displayed our appreciation for someone is it is a kind of bold display of appreciation because you could just say thank you but instead you go out and you get a gift or you do something what, what some people may see as over the top. Well, that's a bold thing to do. Um, sometimes boldness is shallow, meaning we do public displays of things just to get attention, <laughs> potentially. So there could be a shallow version of trying to be bold. Uh, but a lot of the times boldness comes from within for people. So the, the idea of boldness is not a new Thing. It's not something we're, on, we're, we're not aware of, but the scripture, when it describes boldness, it describes it from the place of the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. That God does such a transformative work in someone's life, fills them with the Holy Spirit in such a way that they become bold. They become bold. They become willing to stand up for the truth. They, be, they become willing to love people um, that the world would deem unlovable or that 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 person would even consider themselves an enemy of the person who's now trying to love them. I mean, that's pretty bold. That they'd be willing to give their lives for the cause of the gospel. These are all bold things that someone doesn't just do naturally. I fully believe that someone just doesn't do naturally. They don't do it unless there's been a supernatural experience of God, transformative work in their life that makes them bold. To stand up for the gospel. So in Acts 9, the beginning of Acts 9, um, Saul, it's his conversion. So the beginning of Acts 9 is Saul's conversion. And he, he is walking along, before we read the passage that we're going to read this morning, I'm just going to set it up. He's walking along from Jerusalem to Damascus. He had gotten approval from the Jewish leaders for he and several others to go get these followers of the way who we would call Christians, but followers of the way, he was going to Damascus to round up these people that were causing trouble. So they must have been doing a lot of, they must have been pretty bold because 
the people in Jerusalem got word of these followers of the way that they were going to go round up, at least put them in jail, likely kill them. And so this is what Saul's headed to do. He's on the road to Damascus. He sees a light. There's a complete conversion where he sees, he sees Jesus and interacts with Jesus. Yeah, come on in. Sees Jesus, interacts with Jesus, experiences, um, experiences just transformation. Experiences transformation with Jesus and is in a place where he completely changes his game plan on the way to Damascus. Instead of following through, going to Damascus to um, kill someone, to take the followers of Jesus and do something uh, difficult to them, <laughs> like putting them in jail or killing them, he now becomes one of them. And this complete transformation is seen and people are just in awe of it. So that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9, where Saul has just gone through this conversion. He, he was blinded. He decided not to eat or drink for days on end. Someone came and met with him, and then he was converted. And, and this was what happened afterwards. This is what happened afterwards in, in Acts chapter 9, verses 20 through 31. This is what we read happened to uh, Saul. And immediately he, Saul, began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And he, didn't he come to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching him, for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him, but Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had boldly preached in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord he debated with some of the Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the presence of your Spirit here in this place. And we ask that you would teach us through your word and allow your spirit to explain it to us. We might become more like Paul, that we would become bold in our faith and in who you're making us to be, that we might fill your world with your love, that they might see how you've transformed us, transformed us and might themselves be transformed. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So, this passage 
in Acts um, talking about Saul is amazing. It's just an amazing passage where you have a man who is zealous for God. That's why he's doing all these horrible things to the Christians. He actually believes he's doing the right things for God. And he is zealous to go kill these followers of Jesus, the way. And so he's going around and rounding them up, putting them in jail, killing them. Completely sold out to that mission. And then has this moment where he sees Jesus. And in the story of Paul, Saul's conversion, at the beginning of chapter 9, it actually says the guys that were with him didn't see Jesus, but they heard the voice. And so that had to be kind of freaky for them. They saw a light and they heard a voice, but they didn't actually see Jesus. So we believe Paul actually saw Jesus in the light. And, and it's such a dramatic experience. He's blinded. He, doesn't, he chooses not to eat or drink for days. But he continues to Damascus. He go, continues on his way to Damascus. No doubt these guys help take him there that are with him. Who knows what happens to them? We don't get the story of what happens to them. I wonder if they were converted as well upon this miraculous thing that they watch. But Paul is blind and not eating or drinking and in some sort of home somewhere in Damascus. And Jesus then appears to another man named Ananias and tells Ananias to go see Saul and to um, heal him. And at first, Ananias is like, do you know who this guy is, Lord? Like, <laughs> do you know who Saul is? He's going to kill me. Like, you, don't, you apparently don't know who he is. But Jesus tells Ananias, no, this is who I've chosen to go take the gospel to the world. So you go do this. And Ananias goes to meet with the killer of all his friends and family, right? The guy who's coming to arrest them, was on his way to arrest them and potentially kill him, Ananias, and all his friends. He goes to that guy, to Saul. He prays for his healing, and Saul is healed. He, pr he prays over him so that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he baptizes him. Ananias basically fulfills the role of a pastor in Paul's life in that moment. It's an amazing scene. And then what we read is what happens after. Saul is emboldened to immediately go to the synagogues and start preaching to the Jews. The Jews were his people. Now, remember that. The Jews were his people. He was, a, he was probably on the path to be the next high priest. This was a leader of the Jewish people. Walking into the synagogues, people would have known who he was, and he begins to preach about Jesus. And it actually says he preached so boldly that the Jews couldn't even refute what he was saying. They were like, oh my goodness, everything he's saying is true. We can't refute it. We don't know what to do, so let's kill him. <laughs> that was their solution. He seems to be telling the truth, but, but we need to just kill him. We need to just wipe him out. And, um, and so it's amazing. It's amazing how Saul is just completely transformed. People are amazed at his transformation, the scripture says. They're not amazed at his words. They say they're amazed at his transformation, at how, how transformed he is. And then he goes back to Jerusalem to go meet with the believers in Jerusalem. Again, they're terrified of him trying to come meet with them. They're not sure they believe it. And so this man named Barnabas steps in. And Barnabas takes up for Saul, actually defends Saul, goes to the believers and says, no, what, he's say, what, what has happened is true. Saul has been completely converted. He is a believer. You should meet with him. And so Barnabas steps into the gap for Saul. 
So what we see here are three examples of boldness. And what we're focusing on this morning is that his spirit is, is what makes us bold. God's spirit, his spirit makes me bold. He does that in my life, just like he did in the lives of Paul, Ananias, and Barnabas. All three are examples of boldness. Now, Paul's boldness comes in the form of a public boldness. Paul, who already is a public figure, right? He's already a public figure. He doesn't go from a private figure to all of a sudden becoming a public figure. No, he's already a public figure. God transforms him. Christ transforms him. The Holy Spirit fills him, and then he is bold publicly about it. So there's this public boldness of Paul, this amazing conversion story. But we get the boldness of Ananias. Imagine what it took, how, how much boldness it took for Ananias to go look his potential killer in the face, the guy coming to arrest him and all of his, his friends, to go actually meet with that guy, then heal him, then pray for him to receive the Holy Spirit. And then Barnabas to kind of put his neck on the line on behalf of Saul as well. To go before the leaders of the entire church at that time. The believers in Jerusalem were the leaders of the whole thing. So he's going, behind, going to people like James, brother of Jesus. Mary, mother of Jesus. Mary Magdalene. Um, probably still there were some of the other apostles. Peter, several others. Probably haven't been scattered yet at this point. So you've got the 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 people who are the founders of the church. And Barnabas is going before these people and saying, no, you should really meet with this guy. You should really see what God's done in Saul's life. Even though they themselves are probably thinking, now wait a minute, we know this guy. We've hidden from him on the streets because they're living in the city that Paul lives in, right? Or that Saul lives in. Saul had already been tormenting them constantly. He was on his way to Damascus to now go th do that to some other believers, but he'd been already doing that in Jerusalem. So they knew exactly who he was. He'd probably already killed some of their family and friends. And yet Barnabas puts his neck on the line to say, no, 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 you need to see this guy. You need to meet this guy. You need to see what Christ has done. So the boldness of all three of them, Paul in a public way, Ananias in a very private way, just in a one-on-one -on -one way with someone he could have considered a complete enemy of his and Barnabas in a way where he goes before the leaders and is bold the leaders of his own church of his own of his own tribe the bold examples of boldness in this story are, mirac are miraculous they only come because of the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life to boldly proclaim what is true and we see that at the end of this passage it says because of the work of the Holy Spirit of working in people's lives, transforming them, including transforming Saul in this story, the church actually began to have peace in that region, and it multiplied. Grew in numbers, the word there is multiplied. So it didn't just grow a little bit. It began to multiply, to just rapidly expand because of how God was at work making people bold, transforming them. People would see someone, they'd be transformed by the presence of God in their life, they'd be all of a sudden now living differently, talking differently, acting differently, and people would be amazed at the transformation and amazed at the boldness now that they had to speak up, to speak up about who Jesus was and how he was at work in the world and, and speak up in a culture where it wasn't easy to speak up, right? It should be easy for us to speak up in our culture, but they're speaking up in a culture where the Jews wanted to kill them 
and the Romans wanted to kill them. Like, everyone was out for them. They, they weren't safe anywhere to talk about Jesus. And yet they went around talking about Jesus. And they went around explaining to people how they could have this same Holy Spirit experience and become bold. So his spirit makes each of us bold and can make each of us bold. Too many times I think in my own life, and maybe this is true for you, I think too many times in my own life I've kind of been timid or cautious in, in the way I lived out my faith. Maybe I was um, nervous about how someone might react to me bringing Jesus up or bringing him up in a conversation. Maybe it was I just didn't really want to go deeper. So there was a nervousness there, a, a, a cautiousness or a timidness about actually loving people enough to tell them the truth because that's what real love is. You do it because you love the person. But it's, it, our, our culture is so confused. It's not bold to withhold the truth from someone else. It's not loving to withhold the truth from someone else. If someone is going to get hurt by the life that they're living, for you to not tell them that would be unloving. It would be unloving to not step in and say, no, what you're doing is actually going to hurt you. It's unloving for a parent not to step in and keep their child from putting their hand on a hot stove. It's unloving for a parent to do that. So it's unloving for us to not let someone know, hey, this thing's going to hurt you. And I feel like I need to tell you that. that it's, that's a loving thing to do. It may be a difficult conversation. But the timidness I've experienced in my own life or cautiousness I've experienced in my own life, I think has permeated the church in a way where it's, it's hurt us as God's people. Where we've become afraid to talk about the transformation that people need to experience, the deep transformation people need to experience in their life if they're going to overcome the things in this world that are evil, that have overcome them, if they're going to live a way that honors God, if they're going to actually experience the things they feel like they want to experience. So many people think they can experience the fullness of life without experiencing the fullness of the one who created life. But we know that that's not true. If I want to experience actual peace, I need to know the person, the only person, God himself, who can give me that peace. I can't get peace on my own without the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. We need the boldness of his spirit for us to proclaim that to others. That I know what you're looking for, but you're not going to find it in the places you're looking for. it. This is where you're going to find it. That takes a boldness. It takes a boldness for us to love people deeply, to love people deeply enough to have the tough conversations with them. There's this amazing way that the Spirit works consistently throughout human history. He's worked the same way since Acts all the way up to today. And we've seen works of the Holy Spirit on large scales. We call them great awakenings or revivals. We've seen them on large scales, and they all have similar characteristics they all have similar characteristics it's a surrendering of people to the work of God in their life saying okay I'm gonna I'm gonna let God determine how I make decisions I'm gonna try to l learn to hear the voice of God in my life I'm gonna read his word 
I'm going to spend time in prayer with him so I can communicate with him. I'm going to let the Spirit do miraculous things in my life and through my life. Like that's part of it. But the other part of it is that that starts to happen in small groups of people. Like people actually begin to experience miracles in their life. And it's not just physical miracles, not just miracles that people see on the outside. That's part of it. People experience healing and, and evil is cast out of them and all kinds of things. But there's these inward transformative miracles that begin to happen. People's minds begin to change. Their desires begin to change. They begin to be tempted by the things that used to overcome them and now they no longer give in to them. They overcome sin because of the power that's at work in them. And, and it's in these small groups of believers that begin to pray with one another and overcome sin together that we always see the evidence of the Spirit at work in the world. That we've seen all of these amazing moves of God, whether it was in Acts or the Great Awakenings or the revivals that we've seen in our world. It's consistent. It's when God's people come together in small groups and begin to actually believe that God can do what he says he can do. It's not until we actually start to follow through on what the scripture says about becoming like Christ, that we begin to surrender ourselves fully, we begin to meet with God consistently through scripture, reading scripture, through times in prayer with him, and we begin to surround ourselves with other believers who are also being transformed in deep ways, fully becoming transparent in our lives and allowing them to challenge us to become more like Jesus. We challenge them. It's this amazing thing where God then begins forming us and transforming us over time and we actually become like Jesus to the people around us. We become the missionaries, the pastors, the, the representatives of Jesus to our friends, family, neighbors, community. Like God begins to do that work in the life of everyday believers and that's when these great awakenings and revivals happen because the Holy Spirit just breaks out in people's lives and they begin to actually believe Yes, God says he wants to do this in my life, and I believe he wants to do this in my life, so I'm going to take the steps to actually do it. That's boldness. Boldness, being bold, looks like I believe what God says, so I'm going to actually put my, put my hands to the plow, is the biblical imagery, right? That a farmer actually believes that God will bring the, the fruit, so he actually plows the field and puts seeds in the ground, because if a farmer doesn't believe that God's going to bring the fruit, why would he do all the effort of plowing that field and putting seeds in the ground and then tending for those plants for the entire life of that plant if he didn't believe God was going to bring the fruit? You know how much work it takes to plow a field? I mean, not nowadays with machinery, but in the biblical times, how much work it took to plow a field? And yet, that's, that's the imagery of our spiritual life. That's the imagery of spiritual life. That we as Christians would say, okay, I believe God wants to make me like Jesus. That's what his, his word says. He wants to start to form me into the image of Jesus. So I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit. I'm going to begin to listen to the voice of God. And I'm going to begin to be transformed. And I'm going to surround myself with others who are on that same path. Who are willing to completely die to themselves. Remove everything about themselves out of their life. To give it up. To say, okay... I, this, is no long, this no longer defines me. What God says about me now defines me. And I'm going to become bold. And when that happens, when that sort of boldness comes over his people, 
then what we read in that last verse will begin to happen. There will begin to be peace in the church. All of this turmoil that we see in churches today, the Holy Spirit will overcome that and the church will become, begin to multiply. There will be this move of God in the lives of our communities that just multiply. It just becomes this multiplication of God's presence in people's lives. Because no longer are people saying, okay, we're dependent on the pastor to do the work, or we're dependent on these few groups of people to do the work of God in the community. No, what the Holy Spirit does is gets a hold of everyone, and they go, oh, no, no, I, I actually believe what the Scripture says is true, that I can become like Jesus. So now you've got an entire group of people who are all becoming like Jesus to the people around them. And that's transformative. Especially then when those people come to faith around them and they begin to be like Jesus to the people around them. I mean, it just multiplies. It just multiplies. So this work of the Holy Spirit is what we're praying for. When we say, come Holy Spirit, or we pray for the Holy Spirit, the series that we're in, looking at Acts and saying, okay, Holy Spirit, how do you want to work in our lives? That's what we're praying for. That God would multiply this work. That he would do it in us first. It's got to start in us. That we become people who are on the path of transformation. But then he would start to do it through us. That he'd start bringing people to, to him through us. And that they'd start to be transformed just like we are through us. Through us.